This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast, and today I am excited to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Adams. Dr. Elizabeth is a clinical psychologist who specializes in child development, child behavior, and working with children and families. She has over 15 years experience working in clinical and private settings and has founded an app called Trussell, which is an online app-based service that provides parent coaching directly to parents all across the world. Dr. Elizabeth has been kind enough to offer all of my listeners one free month of Trussell. If you go to trussell.com slash free, you can enroll for your free month of her service. In the interview today, Dr. Elizabeth and I discuss the overwhelm of parenting advice that's out there and how parents can navigate towards finding uh, advice or a practitioner that fits for them. We also talk a lot about how you as the parent are the expert of your child and that learning to tune into your child's needs and understand their temperament goes further than having a Rolodex of tips and advice in your back pocket. So if you find all of the advice out there overwhelming, if you find it contradictory and you kind of don't know where to turn, whether to sleep train, whether to not sleep train, what type of potty training method to use, whether to breastfeed, not breastfeed, all of these things, then I suggest you tune in to our episode today to help bring some clarity. Before jumping in, I just wanted to read a review from you amazing listeners. I'm so excited that you've all been enjoying the podcast so far. This comes from Climber5566332 in Apple Podcasts. It says, this podcast is everything. It has been extremely difficult for me to put how I am feeling into words. Erica and all her amazing speakers have brought so much light to everything I've been dealing with. I feel empowered, validated, and like it's okay to ask for help. I know I am not alone in this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this incredible podcast. Thank you so much for this review. All of the feels knowing that you guys are feeling heard and recognized and validated and understood through this resource. That is why I'm here. Gives me life that you leave a review and you let me know how this is impacting you. Thank you. And let's dive on in. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. I have been a fan of yours and it's so nice to meet 
you know, quote unquote, in quotations with my hands that you can't see, but so nice to officially meet you. We've had this online relationship for some time now. And for those of you who don't know Dr. Elizabeth, she is a psychologist who specializes in working with children and families. And she's the founder of an app called Trestle that supports and coaches families through all kinds of parenting challenges and transitions, especially in those younger early years. So Elizabeth, I'm going to just ask you to share a bit about who you are, how you got into this field, and I'd love to hear a little bit about how the app developed as well, because you seem very passionate about working with families. Yes, yes, I would love to tell you about it. So um, I first got into mental health after, after college. I went to the University of Virginia, and then I came back up to the D.C. area, and I knew that I wanted to work with children um, in some capacity, but I wasn't sure what, and I spent a year working at a school for children on the autism spectrum, and um, from there, I met my mentor and who said, you know, why don't you, why don't you apply to graduate school in the area and think about getting a degree in clinical psych. So um, I worked through my PhD with a real focus on development and working with children that have developmental differences. Um, and I loved working with kids. And I thought, well, this is really great. And um I'm just going to work with kids. And it's, we had to work with adults as part of our training as you probably did too. And I was like, you know, I really prefer working with kids. And then, um, I realized very quickly that you kind of got, you really were working with parents when you were working with kids, um, particularly the really little ones. Mm -hmm. Um, and so my research, I did my research, which was focused on, um, actually like parents' responses to medical diagnoses for their children and how parents grief and their processing of grief and the support they get around, uh, uh, caring for their child that has different needs or different abilities majorly impacts the outcome of their children. And while there's so much focus um, in child psychology and in child's mental health on the child, we really have to think about the system. And um, there is, you know, there's there's a famous quote that there is no such thing as a baby. There's only a baby in someone, meaning that, you know, children are connected to their parents and it really is a system. And so we have to start thinking about supporting, supporting parents and so that kind of developed my passion into if we want to support children and we want to um, help them, whether it's through typical development or whether they have developmental differences, we really have to um, focus our energy and the efforts on the parents. And one of the things that I noticed as a clinical researcher was the research was often, you know, it it came across in a way that I think felt blaming to parents. Like, Mm. oh, these are all the things the parents are doing wrong that are impacting their children. Or, you know, if parents aren't resolved in their grief, their child's going to have a harder time developing. Or if, you know, a, a parent is struggling with their own mental health, how does that impact their child? And that's all true, but there was such a dearth of information on, and what do we do about it? And how do we help support these families? Um, and so I, I entered my clinical work and I worked in hospital settings. I worked at Children's National in D.C. and um, uh, a couple other places around D.C. And then 
uh, through about 15 years of working with children and families, what I was running into was parents calling me saying, you know, hey, can you help me with bedtime? And can you help me with meal times? And, you know, this isn't, I don't think my child has a diagnosis or I don't think that they necessarily have an anxiety disorder, but we're just struggling with some of this day-to-day stuff. And I was spending Mm -hmm. my evenings on the phone with neighbors and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends. And they were saying like, it's not enough for me to make a therapy appointment, but I just need some reliable information and, you know, some support. Yeah. Some support. Yeah. And Google is just not doing it. And it feels really mommy shaming and one side or another. And I need to talk to somebody reliable. And um, through that idea was sort of how I got into the 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 broad the broader range of parent coaching. So I started doing parent coaching, and I was doing it with parents in DC. And then I had the really good fortune to meet Tom Sayre, who um, has a background in education and worked at Google for Education, and left Google with the dream of starting a scalable parent support company. Um, and he was looking for a clinician to help him do this. And we um, got introduced, and we built Trestle. And um, the idea idea is to provide parents with that daily support so that they don't have to go to Google. They get a, um, a developmental team. So there is a parent coach and a PhD level uh, child psychologist that is considered that parent's team. And they can pull out their phone and ask a question and text their coach and also get um, uh real solutions, develop plans to tackle challenges, get support if they're just having a hard day and they need a pep talk, or if they're just saying, you know, hey, my child's going to be, you know, uh, two, what are some things I can expect developmentally providing them with that sound information? Um, So we just, we're pretty new. We launched uh, just about three months ago, but we already have coaches um, uh, across the U.S. and we have families that have signed up and um, we're really excited to be already providing support for families and making support more available and accessible because uh, that was really the goal. I love that so much and you just nailed it like right on the head, making it more accessible and affordable for people yes. because I know that a lot of people don't have access to care because they can't afford care. They can't afford a licensed psychologist right. or right. the fees that come with one-on-one treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and not that this is a supplement for that. And I want us to actually take a moment to distinguish the difference between coaching versus therapy. Can you speak to that a little bit and help us understand? I love that question. It's, it's, it's an important question. Um, because I think, you know, as somebody that is a therapist and also does coaching, the line isn't quite as clean as, as, as it could be, but there is a difference. And the way that I kind of conceptualize the difference and the way I talk to my coaches about the difference is that, um, coaching is really sort of dealing with the here and now, and, um, it's more forward moving. Like if you're struggling with, um, bedtime, how do we make a plan to make bedtime better? And, you know, where things might get a little blurry is if a parent is saying, you know, they, of course we dive into, 
well, it's so hard because this is the way I grew up and this is what I know. Um, and a parent might sort of talk about their past and their history, but the coach's job while recognizing that and helping the parent acknowledge how their past experiences inform their parenting, the goal of coaching is to then say, okay, we understand that, not to process that history, but more to figure out in the context, like where are the room, where's the room for change moving forward and how do we develop a plan um, to tackle the specific problems that you're dealing with right now. Um, The other thing is we do not diagnose on our platform because it wouldn't be appropriate. Um, You know, therapy is about the diagnostic process of diagnosing um, something for a child or for a parent. But that really requires an in-person evaluation and sort of dealing with a formal diagnosis. Um, And so those are the types of things that we wouldn't really get into in our coaching practice. However, um, what I have found is that we can be a fantastic stepping stone to get parents support um, if they need more intensive support. And you can absolutely have a parent coach in conjunction with therapy. You know, we have parents that have their own individual therapist that they're working on the issues that are more appropriate in a therapeutic context. Um, But then they also have this other person that they can kind of text with about, okay, you know, help me get through bedtime or help me, you know, figure out how to do sleep training. Um, But then they have a therapist that they're sort of processing um, their own mental health around. So I think in that way, it's distinct, but it doesn't have to be completely separate or that you can only have one or the other happening. And we've been really fortunate to, in our network, be able to connect parents if we feel like, you know, maybe your child needs an evaluation or a more intensive level of treatment we can help parents get hooked up with those services or help parents get individual services for themselves and be a complementary support system um, in in the parents kind of village as they're they're working through parenting. It's one of the things I really like about your platform is like coaching in itself is not like a regulated profession, right? So lots of different people can call themselves coaches and there's no real regulation around that. However, Mm -hmm. your coaches on your platform, uh, one of the things that I really appreciate is that they all have like bachelor's level, master's level in early childhood education. They've got years of experience working with children. So if parents are really coming for support and education, you're talking to experienced professionals who understand the developmental milestones and limits and, you know, range with for those children within that age span. So I really appreciate that about your platform. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's a great resource. We have amazing coaches and we are blown away by the level of talent. Um, and it's so great because we also have multi multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary um, perspectives on our platform, which is fantastic. So our coaches are a resource to each other. You know, we have speech therapists, we have AP therapists, we have, you know, master's level preschool teachers that work with kids with special needs. We have um, uh, preschool teachers who and early educators who work with gifted kids. And so everybody can kind of give their perspectives to help support a broad range of parents, which is really, it's been a wonderful community of learning for me too. I've learned a lot from our coaches. So it's been really fun. That's great. Yeah. 
One of the things I wanted to circle back with when you were talking about the research that you were doing and how, you know, parents were feeling that it places like a lot of uh, blame on them or can be judgmental of parents when, you know, because it's Mm -hmm. highlighting the things that they are not doing maybe correctly or whatever. And it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I've been going through this shift into maternal mental health. And when you and I first met, this was sort of, I was just on the beginning of this whole adventure. And, um, with that, there's been so much focus on like attachment styles and mom's role in developing a baby's yeah. temperament, mom's role in creating a safe emotional environment mm-hmm. for baby, right? And there's been so much um, in the research focus on mom and focus on what mom is and is not doing in order to shape their child in a healthy, secure way. Right. No pressure. No pressure, mom. No. Yeah. No, no pressure at all. You know? So, so then when we're talking about, do I let my child cry to sleep or do I not? Uh Like, do I do this? Do I not do this? And moms feel an enormous amount of pressure because so much research does shape this. Like, and I understand absolutely that the early years are fundamental years in shaping our child's attachment and development. Um, But now I'm loving the shift in research towards mom's mental health and that if mom is well supported and if mom's mental health is stable and in a place that she feels supported, then she naturally can care for and Mm -hmm. attune to her baby in a way that is so healthy Mm -hmm. for them as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm loving the shift that's happening. And that's really one of my goals is to hold up mom. Like, you know, everyone wants to hold the baby, Mm -hmm. but who holds the mom? Mm -hmm. And that's really part of my mission and my goal here. So I would love to talk a little bit about Oh my goodness, so many things. I feel like I could pick your brain about so many topics. But I'd love to really like move into so we've got young children. And we've got within that, oh, I guess a good question I can pose to you, and maybe there isn't one specific thing that comes up the mm-hmm. most, but when you're working with parents, what is like a, one of the most common challenges that come up that is presented to you that parents are struggling with? Would do you? Well, you know, it's interesting because I think it's different in my therapy practice and in the coaching practice. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I do find that it's a little bit different. Well, I would say across the board, probably the number one call for either whether it's um, parents that become interested in parent coaching or um, are calling me for therapy, it's usually related to behavior and regulation, particularly externalizing behaviors. So if there's a lot of tantrums or um, a lot of those big emotions, because I think those can be draining and sort of set the alarm bells off for parents. Um, Where I think, you know, a child that's that's struggling with anxiety, um, sometimes I think it can be like, you know, they're... uh, they're not quote unquote bothering other kids. You know, they're sort of compliant. And shy, it's not, not as disruptive, disruptive, right? Yeah. And so I think that sometimes I, that yeah. doesn't happen unless it's a bit more extreme. Um, but I think if if there's a child that it tends to express their emotions more ex- emotions more externally and they're having big responses to things, I would say that that's probably the number one. Thing that we get for help. Okay. With. Okay. 
Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. So this comes back to one of the first times that I came across your work when you were writing, like you write blog articles Uh and things like supporting parents. And, um, okay. So it was last year, probably in the fall. And my oldest son at the time was like three and a half and he was sick and he was miserable. Mm -hmm. I mean, like he, he's a really well-behaved kid. He's a pretty good listener. Like he's, he's pretty regulated and all of those things, but he happened to be sick. And he had some tantrums like you wouldn't believe. And my husband was just like, what is happening? What is going on? And then him, like my husband and I, after a couple of these tantrums and the kids are in bed or like trying to problem solve and talk it through, like, does he need more consequences? Are we not doing something properly? Like, how do we handle this behavior? Right. And I came across one of your articles. It was about parenting Mm -hmm. children when they're sick. Right. And And I was just like, oh my goodness, this hits so many points for us. And one of the major takeaways that Mm -hmm. I received from it in that time was understanding the context around your child's behavior. And I work with parents about this all the time. Like what are the, not like risk factors, but what are the things going on for them that might be abnormal, that might contribute to behavior and things like whether they're sick. Things like whether they yes. had sleep or not sleep. Did That's they miss right. a nap? Have they eaten? Yeah. Are they yeah. transitioning to school or daycare? So can you talk a little bit about these sort of factors that play yeah. a role? Well, this yeah. is what, you know, I love that you brought this up because I think that this is one of my, one of my favorite things when I'm talking about parenting sort of broadly is I think a lot of the a lot of the information out there talks about, you know, if your child's having a meltdown, you know, here's the magic words to say, or here's what you should do, or you should always do this, or you should never say this, right? Right. And I think that what's problematic about some of that advice is that it's missing the context. Because Mm -hmm. what you say and what you do and how you respond uh, is going to vary vastly based on a couple different factors. Um, the first being context, so where what's going on in that moment. But the other piece of that context is uh, what are the characteristics of the child and what are the characteristics of the parent. And this idea that, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, your example saying, okay, if I have a, uh, you know, a sick child and they're acting out because they're not feeling well, of course, like who doesn't, right? I'm a bear when I don't feel well, eat, when I don't feel well also. So that, right. that's the context of the influence. But you can have another child who, you know, sometimes parents are puzzled. They'll think, you know, oh, I took my child to this amazing trampoline, you know, laser tag place for a birthday party. And my child was having a meltdown. And I don't, I don't understand because all the other kids were having fun and they weren't getting asked to do anything. And I don't, I don't really get it. And then, you know, what we'll do is have a conversation with the parent about the context. Um, so, you know, how are they feeling? Were they hungry? Did they miss their nap? All of those things. But also then trying to think about the child and their temperament. You know, if you have a child, 
uh, if we think there's, there's lots of, um, uh, frameworks for temperament, but, you know, if you think about, uh, that there's at least nine dimensions of temperament. If you have a child that is has that is you know has a, a slow to approach temperament, or is easily overwhelmed, or is sensory sensitive, an, an environment a trampoline park, you know, where the lights are off and everything's kind of crazy and chaotic, can react, the environment can interact with your child because of their temperament in a specific way that might lead to a response or a tantrum or a meltdown that's very different than another child. And then how the parent responds should all, is also going to depend on that child's temperament. So there isn't a one way to approach or to manage you know, these, these issues, I think, but it, it's the first step is parents thinking about the dimensions of context and their child's characteristics and their own parenting style and how all of those variables interact with one another um, and how we, we should start kind of piecing those apart and thinking and reflecting on um, uh, those different pieces when we're trying to understand our child. Absolutely. Completely. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? Yeah. Yep. And I see when I work with parents, I see a lot saying, well, like my oldest child, when I did this, this worked with them. <laughs> but when I do this with my second and I work with them in this way, you know, I'm, I'm coming up against a wall. Yep. And I, I just, I use the same approach as you do in framing different styles of temperament. And what yeah. works with one may not work with another. Exactly. And that is empowering to know that, you know, we have got to adjust and adapt. It's also a lot on a parent to have to, like, I've got three kids, three Uh different temperaments to have to adjust to each different parenting style for each child and their needs all the time, right? Like it can be, it's a lot to juggle as well as in that moment Mm -hmm. being mindful of your own reactions and your own personality yep. in those situations, yep. right? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You know, it's so funny. One of my, one, a story that I love that shows, uh, was a wonderful lesson for me on this. And also I love that. Um, I love talking about this because I get to tell parents, like we all make missteps and I talk about this stuff all day long. And here I am, you know, having the same learning moments as everybody else. When my daughter turned two, um, I was like, Oh, you know how fun we can have a birthday party for her. And I decided to throw a birthday party at my house. And, um, I threw the birthday party that I would want right? And so I invited (laughs) all my friends and I, you know, it was an ice cream theme and I got an ice cream truck to come to the house and I invited all her friends. And I was staying up after she went to bed making, you know, paper globe ice cream cones and all these things. And I said to her, um, as we were getting ready to give out the invitations, she was still little, but I was talking to her about her birthday party. And she said, I want to have a birthday party with Molly. And I said, uh-huh, and, and who else? And she said, just Molly. And I had this moment of, oh, my God, like my introverted, slow to warm, easily overwhelmed daughter. I am throwing a birthday party for her with 100 people. Like, what am I doing? 
And it was, it was like, I had completely lost sight of like what she would want. And she, we went through with the party because it was, it was the, the wheels were in motion and she was um, quiet and overwhelmed, but pretty sweet about it and found a refuge in our, um, in, in, in the playroom kind of inside with Molly and played for most of the party. And, and had the birthday party she actually wanted. And then next year when she was three and she said she wanted a birthday party with one of her friends and a cake, that's what I did. But it was, it's, it's so interesting and difficult sometimes to remember that the way, you know, our children are different from us. They're separate from us. They don't have the same temperaments as we do. And it can be, um, uh, difficult to take pause and remember that our children don't process the world the same way that we do. They're not seeing the world through our eyes. They are their own people with their own temperaments. And, and sometimes when there's a temperamental mismatch, it can be puzzling for parents because they think, you know, I, I don't understand why my child would have a difficult time with this. And that's partially because who they are might be different and their triggers might be different than, than uh, who we are as parents. I think that that's a really important note. Like the mismatch, I, I hear a lot from parents who let's let's say don't understand anxiety. They're mm-hmm. not anxious, so they mm-hmm. can't understand a kid's sense of overwhelm when they're going to speak to a teacher at school or mm-hmm. these different you know tasks that seem every day and like ordinary to the parent who maybe doesn't have anxiety and can't understand. Yeah. Or to the introverted parent who has a child who has very big reactions that mm-hmm. seem out of proportion to the problem, right? Absolutely. And it's hard for them to understand or it gets maybe labeled as dramatic mm-hmm. or different terms because there's just a lack of understanding of that temperament and that child's like form of expression. Yep. Not that there shouldn't be boundaries on their expression and how they react, yep. obviously, but but there's just a mismatch, a lack of of understanding, understanding yeah. one another. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I'm thinking about the birthday party mm-hmm. and, and it brings me to this whole like Pinterest worthy yeah. birthdays, yes. you know, it brings uh-huh. me to this whole, like I have Pinterest boards of all my kids first yep. year birthdays and all like I threw these elaborate first year parties because they, they didn't have a say on one. <laughs> they didn't have any preferences. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And it was so funny because it was so, like, it was for them, but it was for the family. We had, like Absolutely. you said, like probably a hundred yeah. people at each party. And it's, I don't know if it's a, a challenge of putting my needs before their own, but there is an expectation. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's temperament as parents and how we yep. react, but then there's also social norms and expectations of how we should behave yep. as parents. So let's say my child goes to a birthday party and they have a complete meltdown because they're in sensory yep. overload. They have a valid concern going on, you know, they're overwhelmed or they whatever, but you're getting all of these eyes from other parents Mm -hmm. judging how your child is behaving Mm -hmm. and you feel the pressure to discipline or get your child in line. Yeah. Right. So I feel like temperament plays a role, but so many things shape our parenting as well, because there are all of these expectations we feel like we have to live up to as parents. It's true. I think that, you know, I think that's so true. And it's, it's funny because there's no shortage of of parenting advice. I mean, true. If you went on Amazon and you Google and you look up like books on parenting, it will literally return over forty thousand books on parenting. Like it's it's oh everywhere, word. and that's not you know counting 
you know, the blogs and I write blogs too for parents about parenting, but there's just a shortage of advice up to and including strangers in the grocery store, you know, mothers, mother-in-laws, everybody has an opinion and it creates an enormous amount of pressure. And what I think, you know, looking at the landscape, what's sort of fascinating is this despite an unbelievable amount of information, parents are actually saying that they feel less equipped and more confused than they ever have. Like it it is not true that more access to information actually equals more confidence. It's actually gotten worse. Like parents are saying, I don't know what to do. And I think part of that is around the culture of information and how some of this information is framed, where if it's, uh, if it's not, you know, scientifically based, um, it's an overstatement or even an overstatement of the, the research. Like sleep training is a great example of this. People have passionate feelings and everyone can have a passionate feeling about it, right? But when we look, when we do a deep dive into the literature, what the literature tells us is that by the time kids are seven, there's absolutely no difference in how they sleep with whether or not they were sleep trained or they were co-sleeping. There's no research that shows that kids that were sleep trained have emotional damage that's not valid. And there's also no validity to saying kids that co-sleep are codependent and enmeshed and can't self-regulate. So I think what happens is that sometimes when information is skewed, or research results are overstated, it becomes uh, polarizing in this way. And then people, there's nothing more personal than parenting. And so I think that sometimes when someone makes a different choice from you, that can maybe subconsciously feel like it's a criticism of your choice. And I think we have to have a reframe around that. We have to start thinking about what we were talking about before, which is when you consider all the variables, an individual child, an individual parent and context, there can't be one way. And so we have to make space for lots of different ways and understand that somebody making a different choice is probably because of those variables. What's right for them as a parent, what's right for their child as an individual person, and what their context is. And so that might mean that what it looks like is different than what you're doing, but that doesn't mean it's wrong, and it doesn't mean what you did is wrong. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place, And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. 
cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing 6 to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code MOMWELL at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com MOMWELL and use the code MOMWELL to save $5. I am just absorbing all of that for just a moment. That is so (laughs) powerful because what I'm hearing is, and what you typically hear with, you know, behavior advice, like when you're talking about tantrums Uh and advice is how to get your child to behave, right? But what I'm hearing you say is that you need to know your child and their temperament and tune in with them and what they need in those moments. Exactly. Because it's not a one size fits all. What's going to work with my oldest is not going to work with my second. My oldest is very, um, he's more sensitive. He's more wanting to please people. You know, the threat of a timeout to him is the end of the world. My second, you could put him in timeout all day and it wouldn't phase him for a minute. Right. right? So things that work for each of them 
are completely different. And I don't know as a mom what they need until I really like stop and tune in with them. And if I'm scrolling through the Rolodex of all the things that I have learned in my mind to try to apply the right, you know, modality or tip or advice in the right situation, I'm in complete overwhelm because like Uh you said, there is no lack of advice and tips and all of these things. Right. And I love that you made that correlation. Yeah. And it feels contradicting too. And I mean, I have so, so many contradicting. that say yeah. like, well, you know, if I, I heard that if I do this, it's problematic. And I heard if I do the opposite, it's problematic. And then you sort of feel stuck on, I don't know then what that means that I'm supposed to do. Um, and, and I think, you know, you're exactly right that it is, that's the hardest point. And so is that it's choosing the right thing for your child in the right moment. And it is a moving target. And so this oversimplification of this is the answer and this is always how you should deal with every tantrum for every child in every situation is, you know, probably, probably not right. Um, uh, My advisor in graduate school used to say, for every complicated question, there's an easy answer that's completely wrong. Um, because to take the nuance into consideration. Um, but I think what's, what's dangerous is that sometimes then it gets translated into guilt and other people's expectations and embarrassment. Um, and so, you know, the antidote to that is for us to all take responsibility and recognize that there's going to be differences in how parents are responding and we don't necessarily have the picture, the full picture of the context, you know? Yeah. And I think that when it comes to guilt and shame, I work with moms on this a lot. And I think that one of the remedies to feeling guilt as a mom is knowing your values, your individual values, Mm -hmm. and knowing your parenting values and what guides your decision making so that you Mm -hmm. feel justified in the decisions that you're making. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, so when you have values, like I want to instill X, Y, Z in my child, and I want to be remembered for being this type of mother. And Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, and I actually have some worksheets that can be downloaded on my website. It's my motherhood, my way. It's a free download, a free guide on how to uncover what some of these motherhood values are that when you know what your values are, they are a compass that guides your personal decision-making for your own life, but also guides your parenting Mm decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. And when you know your values and why you're making the decisions that you're making, then you're more confident to stand up to not even like verbally and like argue with another parent, but you within yourself are more confident in the decisions that you're making versus comparing yourself to other parents and feeling less than because you're parenting in a different way. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. That's great. So one of the things that I love about your Instagram and the resources that you provide is you will take a study that made it into the headlines, you know, I can't remember what they are, but like, and they have these broad sweeping statements of like, this will save your life, you know, type of thing. And you just like, you examine the size of the study, who the study was done on, Mm -hmm. like sort of the validity of it or whatever, like you'll unpack it for people so that they can see, wait a minute, you can't take a study that was done on 50 people and make a broad 
statement to the whole general public that this is, this is now fact or this is how it is. Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I love that you like that because I'm always like, this is, you know, is it only the, the research nerds in the world? But I think what we're trying to get at when we post that is related to what we were talking about before, which is this overstatement of research that then becomes, um, things that are put forward as truths in parenting that end up not being really based in, in reality. Um, you know, a great, one of the great examples of this is what happened with, um, white noise. There was, um, uh, a study, a small study on rats that they had the rats listen to white noise at a very on rats on rats. Oh my god! <laughs> listen to white noise at a really high decibel constantly, like twenty four hours around the clock. And those rats displayed more difficulty doing um, little rat tasks like mazes and things like that. <laughs> and what happened was this, this, that study. That's the original, like where this came from got diluted and transformed. And then it was sort of put out in like pop parenting world as white noise is harmful for your child. You shouldn't white put, use white noise to put them to sleep because they're going to end up dysregulated and it could affect their cognitive development. And I'm like, what? Oh word. Like, where did this come from? And when we trace it back, it's, um, it's just not rooted in the science. And I think that that's really dangerous. And there's a that's we so dangerous. Be, yeah. you know, the headlines just can't capture the nuance. And it's it's dangerous to kind of overstate these things because people think, oh my gosh, science and like it's printed. So, you know, this must be be what it means. But often um, you know, the the results are kind of overstated and the interpretation of it is kind of overstated, which I think then plays into this idea that there are these things that are so damaging when like we really might not have a foundation for that. Um, and I don't know, I, it, it's a little bit inspired by, well, very much inspired by um, Emily Oster, who's an author. She wrote um, a book called Crib Sheet, and she's an economist, but she uh, does an unbelievable job of reviewing research and literature and taking big parenting decisions like breastfeeding, sleep training, uh, working moms versus non-working moms, and really dives deep into the literature and says, you know, what's myth and what's fact, what's backed up by science and what's not. Um, It's a phenomenal book. And I think although she says, you know, what we find is that what the research shows is that um, for a lot of these issues, it's nuance. But I think just reading that, you know, oh, maybe this is overstated or, oh, I'm not going to totally damage my child. If I do this, that's not a fact that's grounded in science actually makes parents feel a lot better. Um, so that's kind of where the, the inspiration for that came from. I'm really feeling in like listening to all of this, like, I feel like parents just need permission to trust themselves sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, to tune into your child, push all of the noise away, all of yeah. the overwhelm away, tune into your child and what do they really need from you? How can you react in a empathetic and compare, like uh, compassionate way? Uh-huh. 
also still have boundaries. There are limitations and there are things that obviously they can't put themselves at risk, put other people at risk and, and, you know, things like that. But how do you tune into them? You know them best, you know what they need Mm -hmm. and how do you tune in and provide that for them? And that's what I try and do when I work with parents is Mm -hmm. to help them be attuned to their child. Right. If there's something that you can learn, push all the other noise out of the way and really study your child and what it is that they need from you Yeah. and study yourself and what it is that their needs set off in you right. that you need to learn how to regulate. Because let right. me tell you, my kids sometimes need to be on my lap and need mm-hmm. my affection. Mm-hmm. I have three kids. Mm-hmm. Often all three of them are piled on my lap. And the last <laughs> thing I want is children on my lap. I want to be done with my day that day, you know, and that's life. That's, that's having three kids. Yeah. But I know that this is what they need. I'm going to get my time to myself after they go to bed, and I will actually help to regulate them and their whiny behavior if I just attune to what they're really asking me for. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I think that that's so important and powerful. And like at the you know while you're saying it's, I love that you're framing your role as as a person that supports parents, identifying that your role in that is helping the parent to understand themselves and their child. And I think that that's right. That's that's ideal support. That it is it's partnering with a parent to help them sort through some of this noise, to help them sort through some of this guilt and um, confusion around, you know, oh, my mother-in-law tells me I shouldn't do this with the kids. And this person tells me I shouldn't do this. And I read this article that says this. Great support helps a parent process that information and then say, okay, here's what we know about child development. Here's what's based in science. Now, where the parent gets to come in as front and center is tell me about you and what your truth is. And like you said, what your parenting values are, like helping parents identify those. And let's reflect on your child and think about what they need. And good support, quality support, I think, is doing just that. It's not doling out the silver bullet advice. It's sitting with a parent and helping them. It's providing, the context is providing them the developmental information and it's telling them truly, you know, here's what's developmentally appropriate. Here's what's happening biologically, cognitively, you know, neurocognitively with your child. And so here are some different things that might work and that, you know, research and science and psychology and development tells us will work. But now it's a partnership where we're talking with the parent about reflecting on who they are and who they're child is and, and, and bringing those two things together. Um, but it's not about, um, you know, identifying for a parent what their values are, or, you know, if telling a parent, this is definitely what's going to be right for your child. I think you're right that it's helping parents harness that power of reflection of what their children need. Right. And it's certainly not trying to bring a parent onto 
our biases in terms of our parenting approach, right? Um, I see a lot of coaches and I see a lot of people who are attachment parents or this, like these polar opposite parents. You've got your, you know, your crying out versus your co-sleeping type of these polar opposites. And what works for one temperament or one Uh family or, you know, the mom and parent or the the mom and baby combined isn't, it's not a one size fits all. It's so funny, you know, we were talking before we started about how, um, you know, you and I both worked in this field before we, before we had our children and how having children has changed that. And it's funny because, um, and sometimes we'll talk about, you know, coaches on our platform, whether or not they have children and parents will often say like, it's really important to me that my coach has children. And I get, I get that. I get that perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's funny because I found myself being very conscious around separating my experience from my clients' experience, both in therapy and coaching, and trying to keep that front and center. And when, before I had children, and now, when parents ask me that I'm working with if I do have children, my answer is the same as when I didn't have kids and now that I do, my answer is um, it's irrelevant to the care that I'm providing you because this isn't about me and my experience as a parent, because that's actually damaging to helping you. Like what the way that I'm parenting my child. And I think having that shared, you know, the shared experience of being a mother, that that unidentifiable, powerful bond that we have is, is something important. But in terms of the support, I think it is important to remember that it's not just because it worked for me or just because I did something uh, for my child, that doesn't then become the prescription that's doled out for every kid. It can't be. Um, and so that's, Right. I love that distinction. And I've actually never heard it framed that way before. We had this conversation on our team. I work in a group practice as well. Um, Half of the team has kids and half of them don't. And we all work with kids and we all work with parents and families. And for me personally, I could not possibly Uh understand fully what it was to be a mom and a Uh parent until I had kids. You know, like it has changed my entire perspective in working with parents in the sense that, like you said, that shared experience, like the level of exhaustion, like you just can't understand the day in and day out until really, you know, Uh that is your Mm -hmm. reality and you're in it. That being said, that doesn't mean that my parenting style, my parenting values, my parenting approach becomes the prescription right. for the thing that has exactly. worked, right? Is what you're saying. Like I can share that experience. Uh-huh. I can empathize and I can help you hold space for how difficult right. this journey can be. But that doesn't mean that I have the answers based on my children. You are the expert yes, in your child. You know yeah. them. You grew them in your tummy. You, you know, you know how to attune to them and I can support you in reading their cues and in learning about like the psychoeducation around anxiety or different behavior challenges or whatever and support you in that. But at the end of the day, your child is not my child. And that's why you are the best person, the best For expert in Absolutely. supporting your I kid, think right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And I, you know, I think there are pros and cons either way. I mean, I we talk about this on on uh, in our team as well where 
you know, the pro if you have children and you're working in this field is having that shared experience. The awareness you have to have after you have children is making sure that you are drawing a line and that you're also recognizing that, you know, yes, it's powerful to have that shared experience, but it doesn't mean that it's going to inform the way that you're supporting somebody. And it probably shouldn't. Yeah. And I love that perspective. I think that that's incredibly helpful. Yeah. Okay. So as we think about wrapping up here, this has been such a a powerful conversation. And this is sort of not where I saw us going at all today, but I absolutely (laughs) love it. I think that it's so valuable because one, I think that we hit a few major concerns on the head. Mm-hmm. The overwhelm that parents are feeling because of these, like you said, pop psychology headlines or yeah. these studies that make it into the news or are taught as fact, mm-hmm. the overwhelm and the conflicting advice that parents are presented with is yeah. debilitating for some, Absolutely. especially mm-hmm. if you're talking moms in maternal mental health who struggle with anxiety, postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. The second I remember with my first, the second I got pregnant, it was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to eat. I don't know what to do. I've never experienced this before. I'm growing human. Like, what do I do? And of course I go to apps and Google and trying to understand. And it's like, some people say you should eat strawberries and pineapples. Some people say you don't. And it's like, there's so much information. Yeah. Right. So much information. So I think that giving parents permission to trust their gut and their instinct to, if they feel like they can't, and if they feel like they don't maybe have that relationship or that bond with their child, then go and work with a coach or a therapist or somebody who can help support you in becoming attuned to your child's needs. Right. Right. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not inherent that it's not, you're not guaranteed to know what your child's needs are. And I think that's another shame point for moms and with babies is that Mm -hmm. like you think that when you become a mom, you're instinctually going to know how to parent and you're going to know know how to react and respond. And that's just not the case because parenting is a skill and mothering and being attuned to and nurturing your baby is a skill that sometimes we need support in developing. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and I love, I also think it's so important to highlight this idea that there's, there's no shame in getting support, right? Because then we get into this shame on top of shame. And, you know, even for the parents that do feel connected to their child and bonded with their child, but they're saying, you know, I don't know how to sort through the noise of, you know, I, I I was coaching a family the other day on potty training and I'm like, there's all different approaches. And the mom was like, great, I'm not going to read seven different books and then choose the one that fits the context of my family. Like I need you to tell me the seven different approaches and then we're going to dialogue about the fit. And I'm like, that's exactly right. And I'm not going to tell you which one it is. I'm going to give you some choices. So I think that it's, it's also, you know, finding the right support person and you will have that feeling if that person is flexible in their approach and there's room for the parent as an individual, but also, you know, knowing that there is no, there is no shame in asking for help. And trying to sort through this overwhelming amount of information, um, you know, it's 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 a big job, and and having a partner that you can trust that is free of judgment can be so helpful. Yeah, 
And then, so we talked about the overwhelm and finding the support. And one of the other things I want to highlight from our conversation today is things to look for in a coach or a professional or a therapist or a psychologist, someone who's going to assist you in your parenting, some of the healthy things you want to look for to make sure that you're getting support that's going to be right for you. And one of the red flags for me when I'm looking at parenting advice is if someone is hardcore pushing their own parenting values and approach, then that's a red flag for me, Mm -hmm. right? What other kinds of things, when we're talking in terms of looking for a healthy coach or or like a healthy support system in us becoming attuned to our child, like what other types of things do you think? Yeah. You know, it's so funny, Erica, for me, that's the biggest one too, is if somebody is really married to a particular orientation or perspective on parenting, um, you know, and that's not to say, you know, if there's a particular parenting philosophy that you as a parent are 100% sure that you are, you know, in line with every single facet of that philosophy, great, find a parent coach that that that's their philosophy. But I think that's for most right. parents, they're not really sure. And there needs to be some flexibility and um, there needs to be room for you as a parent and your child as an individual, rather than trying to force a parent and a child to conform to a particular philosophy across the board. Um, Yeah. So I would say that's the biggest thing too. And then, you know, I think the other thing we've talked about is knowing that the parent is the expert on 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 the contact and on their characteristics as a parent, on their child who's a unique person. So find somebody who's well-versed in development, who understands children, um, broadly speaking, uh, you know, has a scientific background in development so that they can provide that piece and then partner with the parent to provide the context because that's how you're going to get personalized, individual, top-notch support that makes sense for the family. Because if you give somebody advice that doesn't make sense for their child and who who they are as a family or advice that doesn't feel centered and right to them, it's not going to work. Right. So yeah, I think, think, you know, those two things are are helpful when you're looking for the right person. Yeah. And then just a couple of takeaways then before we wrap up just from our conversation today, like if people aren't in a position to go and seek out support or if they, you know, aren't really at a place that that is something that's necessary for Mm -hmm. them, some takeaways for their behavior, like so them working with their child's behavior and, you know, dealing with these meltdowns and these parenting situations. Some of the things that came out of our conversation today is one, do some research on different types of temperament. Yeah. There's lots of different research out there. Like you said, there's different modalities and different ideas around it, but like just doing a little bit of research or even just your own taking in your one child compared to your other child and the differences mm-hmm. in their personalities and their temperament yeah. is going to go a long way in you helping to understand, sorry, in helping you to understand what their individual needs. Yes. We actually have on our website, I'm going to send it to you so your listeners can try it out. We have a temperament tool um, for tantrums that I love so much. So parents take like a temperament, it's pretty fast, like a temperament assessment, and it helps to identify based on your child's temperaments, 
temperament, what are some particular triggers that could cause a tantrum and how you could respond to them based on their temperament. And that's a really fun tool that's free that we developed. And I will send that to you to share with parents. Absolutely. I will link that in the show notes so you guys can go into the description anywhere that you're streaming this podcast. And there's going to be a link to the show notes. And I'm going to put all of Dr. Elizabeth's information there about Trestle, about her website. And I'll link this temperament tool there because I think that's absolutely the first step for any parent if you're wanting to unpack your child's reactions and behavior is understanding what makes them tick and understanding their temperament. And then two, I think the next practical step is going to be understanding your temperament and reactions. And I work with moms because moms talk about mom anger, mommy rage, being irritable, being set off. And I have an episode like number two with Dr. Asherina where we unpack mommy rage and understanding it. And one of the things with mummy rage is knowing your own personal yes, triggers. Absolutely. And there is no shame. Like I feel like a lot of moms feel shame about acknowledging mm-hmm. one, I get angry. And two, it's my child and their needs yeah. sometimes that makes me angry. There's like they feel shame yeah. about that. But if we can acknowledge it and just take the shame out of it for a second it. and, and mm-hmm. step back right? And look at it for like, we're talking about like an equation here. We're talking about one need and temperament versus another need and temperament. Sometimes they're going to mesh and get along and other times they are not. And there's no shame in that. And if we can understand it and unpack it and identify our own triggers and what's going to set us off, that awareness and understanding And that context, like we had talked about, like, and the things that are going on and understanding if it's bedtime or if child is sick or if I'm sick and I'm irritable because I'm not feeling well or whatever, those two things go such a long long way. Absolutely. Yeah. I have this, um, when I do parenting workshops, I have this video that I show that uh, is, Uh, it's like the perspective of somebody filming walking down to a beach. And the first time it's shown, it's played with this happy music. And the second time it's shown, it's played with the Jaws theme song. And it totally changes the feeling you get when you're watching it. The first one, it's like, oh, this beautiful beach. The second one, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm anxious watching this. Like, what's going to happen? When's the shark going to pop out of the water? And sometimes I talk to parents about what I call their shark music. And that's identifying those triggers. And and when we have that music playing in our background, it totally changes the context that we're parenting in. And so recognizing what are the moments and the things that turn our shark music on and how can that totally change how we're looking at a situation, the same situation, right? If a parent has shark music playing around dropping their two-year-old off at preschool and their preschoolers crying and that's activating their shark music and making them very anxious or making them angry, you know, shark music can also be related to, to rage. How do we start to understand that? But helping parents identify those triggers for that shark music, I think is, you're right. It's such a powerful place to start. So powerful. Yeah. That awareness is just the most valuable piece. You know, there are several other things that you can add and learn and unpack and and add on top of that. But that awareness is the key to unpacking. So being, having the courage to fight the shame 
that you might feel in being aware of these things and sort of talking about these things. That takes courage and that takes strength and it takes a level of owning, you know, like I fall apart sometimes and stuff. But having the courage to do that and to kind of just think these things through and face them a little bit is going to be so healing for you as a parent, for your child and their behavior, and for your bond and your relationship with that babe, because you want to keep that line of communication and that bond open and as strong and loving as possible. Hard work. (laughs) Oh, Dr. Elizabeth. I am just loving every single bit of this conversation. I think it's been so (laughs) valuable. Yeah, I know. So could I. (laughs) I I love it. I appreciate your expertise. I appreciate your um, really strong foundation in research and being able to unpack that for us because not, not all of us understand what these headlines mean and what that research means. And I think that is incredibly valuable that you can help to debunk some of that and put parents at ease. And I just, I think this is such a valuable conversation. I appreciate everything you shared. It's been so fun to be here and I appreciate your advocacy and, you know, working in defense of moms and the hard work that we're all doing and, and, providing a safe space of support. So important. So thank you for having me. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.